Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and this is another one of my first look episodes, this time for the player cards of Return to the Path to Carcosa. I think that's right, not the return, just return. Return to the Path to Carcosa. It has a little ring to it, it's quite nice. It's uh, early in the morning, I'm a little bit sleepy, but I just... I picked up my pack yesterday, didn't have time to open it, didn't have time to first look, and have got up this morning and really want to just dive in. Weird thing, I think some people know these cards, I think they got leaked months ago, maybe in Spain, I want to say? Something like that, some non-English leak. And then the other strange thing is I don't think this pack is out for a while in the United States, and I was swapping messages with a friend about trying to work out the schedule for the next little while, and we have no idea, so don't come to me for guidance. Be that as it may, on with the pack I go. I was really, really pleased with the Return to Dunwich cards. I think I quite enjoy shining a spotlight on cards that people aren't as keen on and adding new versions of them that are keen. I still find myself wishing that it made a difference to the original card, so, you know, for instance, Blackjack Level 2, which I think is a good weapon, doesn't actually do anything to Blackjack Level 0. It just makes you think, okay, you know, that card got a do-over. And that's that's sort of weird to me. I wish there was a way that if you ran the levels, you got rewarded for running the Level 0, the bad version, when you upgraded to the good version. But you don't. Anyway, I'm, uh, that's a little bit of a tangent, but... In the main, I really enjoy revisiting a cycle and the cards of that cycle and seeing how you can remix them and things like that. So what we're going to do when we do this pack is I'm just going to run very briefly over the cards we got for that faction from the Path to Carcosa cycle and then see what we end up with the upgrades. And one of the things I wondered about was whether we were going to end up with, say an upgrade to all the composures, so combat training getting an upgrade and everything else, or maybe some desperate upgrades or something like that, but I'm not sure if that's going to be the case. Just because we had a very fixed pattern in the return to the Knight of the Zealot, we might not have a fixed pattern here. So let's get going. We'll start with Guardians, they're normally at the top, and I do know one of these cards because it was announced, but the cards Guardian got were the Colt, the automatic level 2, Pretty sure the automatic won't be getting another version. Armor of our Den, level 5. Combat training, as I mentioned. First aid, level 3. Again, unlikely to be getting something. Stick to the plan. Could we see like a 1 XP exceptional stick to the plan? With uh, maybe it only adds 1 card, say? Would anyone take spend 2 XP to pick a card out of their deck? Maybe they would. It would open up the access as well to other off-class guardians. Trench Knife, that's crying out for a Trench Knife level 2. True Grit, could there be an upgrade to that? Eat Lead, a very unpopular card, for fairly good reason. I'll See You in Hell, I wondered about an upgraded version of I'll See You in Hell, but I don't know how that would work. Let Me Handle This, again, I've not really thought about it. Ambush, I'm secretly a fan of Ambush after that Roland playthrough. And then there's Ever Vigilant, Heroic Rescue, Mano a Mano, On the Hunt, and Inspiring Presence. So there's quite a lot of things there that could we could see an option for. I, I suspect that if the card first came out in the core set, like First Aid or the Automatic, there won't be another version here. I could be wrong, but of those cards that are really Carcosan cards, there's, there's quite a lot of scope there. So let's dive in. The first card is the card we knew. It's the 32 Colt 
level two. It costs two rather than three. It's got two combat icons. It's item, weapon, and firearm traded and takes up a hand slot, and it uses six ammo. Action, spend one ammo fight. You deal plus one damage for this attack. Free trigger, spend one resource, return 32 Colt to your hand. So it's one cheaper, it's got an icon, and it's got this ability to swing it round your fingers and return it to your holster, which I think is terrific. So for five cost, you can essentially play uh, five cost and two actions. You can essentially play a 12 ammo weapon because you'll do six shots for two cost, pay one to get it back to your hand, then pay again and get another six shots. Really kind of nice. I've mentioned in the past as well that the fact that this has lots of ammo and is cheap means that if you want to be doing things like eat lead or warning shot and using ammo for for non-attacks, this is a good target for that, particularly with a built-in reload ability. It becomes a really good target. So yeah, I like it. The, there's a couple of other things just worth mentioning. One is the double combat icon, means if you're being a well-prepared guardian, you can tap well-prepared and give yourself a plus two. Because obviously the downside for the cult is it doesn't have an innate combat boost. So Mark is probably the guardian who likes it the most because he can attack at five it's got lots of ammo for shooting, say, lots of ghouls or lots of two health enemies. It's also the kind of thing where if you're fighting a three health enemy, you don't mind taking two shots with this gun because you can reload it so easily. It could end up becoming pretty expensive if you're continually trying to pull it back to hand. But yeah, I think I think it's probably at the right kind of... If it was three cost and that pay one to reload, I don't think I'd be interested. But only two cost is kind of nice. The other nice thing is you could play this early, shoot with it, and then if you get to a point where you're going to say play ever vigilant, you can then get this back down more cheaply, which is cool. The other weird thing that's worth noting for this is that when you fire your last ammo, or when you're at a point where you're really desperate for icons, you can activate the first action to fight, and then use the free trigger in the window that you'd commit cards to return the cult to your hand if you've got a resource to spend. And you could then commit the card to the attack. Because once the ability is initiated, it finishes initiating. It's the same sort of thing of if you start investigating and then move location. If you have a way of moving mid-investigation, you finish resolving the investigation from where you initiated it. So this is the same ability. You start the fight, you can then pull the cot, you're basically shooting with the gun, pulling it back into your hand and throwing the gun as the bullet is traveling through the air to try and hit your enemy. It's not always gonna be needed, but it's just worth knowing as a little crazy play. Okay, so that's the Colt 32. I, I really like it. I know I have a friend who's about to do a Mark Harrigan Colt deck, and I think it's gonna be really fun. There's a lot of juggling to be done. And the next card is, it's Eat Lead. Level zero, this is the downgrade. It's one cost now instead of zero cost. It's still got combat and agility icons. It's a tactic. It says fast, play when you activate the fight ability on a firearm asset, spend one additional ammo from that asset. When you reveal chaos tokens for this attack, reveal one additional chaos token, choose one to resolve and ignore the other. Okay, original eat lead, as in the level two, was spend as many ammo as you like and reveal that many other tokens. And this one is, you only get to spend one additional ammo, costs you one this time, and you get to see one additional token. 
I mean, if you can guarantee that you're high enough over the threshold that the only thing that will stop you is the tentacle, paying one to not draw the tentacle is all right. It's one in a card. But that's a really narrow application for this because obviously there are many other situations where you may as well have just planned to take two shots anyway. I know people have done work on the numbers around Eat Lead level two and said it's almost always better to just take two shots than it is to spend two ammo and only get one shot, particularly if you're spending two XP. Maybe they'll change their mind a little bit with a lower XP version. Certainly, I can see it as a kind of final last ditch moment. You're fighting the ghoul priest, say, you just need the last hit to land, and you use this, pay one, and at least then you get a choice of two tokens. It's not crying out to me as great, but it is a little bit of a contingency, which I like. I'm just wondering if there's any other cheeky plays worth doing. The thing that's probably worth noting is that this is great for cards with lots of ammo that you've got cheaply and far less good for, say, the shotgun where you only get two shots for your five cost. So that's worth bearing in mind, obviously. If we ever see a gun that reloads easily, maybe that's more worthwhile. And maybe if you're doing something like the BAR and giving it loads of ammunition, maybe you feel less strongly about adding an extra ammunition to more or less guarantee a hit. I can see that being kind of handy. Yeah. It's almost the Guardian sort of seal or grotesque statue style, isn't it? That the tests that you really don't want to flub as a Guardian are mainly to do with shooting in the way that as a mystic it's your shriveling charges or your right of seeking charges that you use your grotesque statue then or you do your sealing to make sure that those land. Yeah. Okay, it's, it's pretty nice. It's pretty good. Let's move on to Seekers. So Seekers got Arcane Insight. The Archaic Glyphs, all of those. Charles Ross, we don't normally see... Well, we can see upgrades of, of allies. Uh, Fieldwork, very good card. In the Know, Scientific Theory, that's their composure. Anatomical Diagrams, the way that you can drop the fight and evade of an enemy. Eidetic Memory, really cool card. Forewarned, another really good card. Guidance, a bit like Connect the Dots. Logical Reasoning, which I think we know we're getting an upgrade for. No Stone Unturned, level 0 and level 5. Shortcut, level 2. And Eureka. So we've not seen Inspiring Presence get an upgrade, so I'm imagining it won't be Eureka. It's quite a good range there. And we know one of them is Logical Reasoning. So let's do Logical Reasoning. This is still 2 cost. It's now 4 XP, and it's now a triple willpower icon. It's gained an icon. It's insight-traded, as many Seeker events are. And it reads, for each clue you have, to a maximum of three, either heal two horror from an investigator at your location, or discard a terror card at your location. I am the wisest man alive, for I know one thing, and that is that I know nothing. Plato, the Republic. It used to be pay to heal two horror or get rid of a terror, and now it's pay to heal up to six horror or discard three terrors or any combination thereof. Pretty good. I mean, it's four XP, which is nuts expensive. And yeah, I don't really know how quickly I'd be able to get this into a deck. It's a lovely include if you're worried about horror in your Joe Hunch deck, of course. And it's a lovely include if you're a support seeker giving out healing. 
I like that, like, I've got a plan, seekers see another reason to stockpile clues and be the one not to spend clues. Like, thematically, I like that, the seekers are the ones who keep clues. And I think I like that maybe late game, you play this when you're on three clues, and maybe you heal everyone else rather than you. And so you just give out a bunch of healing. That's that's kind of nice. I found with logical reasoning that getting rid of a terror card is far less useful than I thought it would be. Sometimes you can use it for Frozen in Fear. Sometimes you can use it for someone else's dissonant voices. But often terror cards aren't hanging around in one's threat area or at one's location. So maybe that'll come up. Maybe we'll, we'll play a campaign where there are more terrifying things that attach to places and we have more terror cards and this card will grow in power. But as it is, that second ability, I remember being really excited about it with the original logical reasoning and then never seeing it quite land. Other thing to note is that it's a heal horror card, so Carolyn can take it and it doesn't take up one of her slots because it heals horror, it doesn't take up one of her seeker slots. And the ability to give out loads of healing to different investigators is really nice because she could essentially heal herself to horror and heal two other people and be giving out three resources in the process, which is great. Or you could also use this if you have two clues or more and just completely clear rational thought, which is really nice. Being able to clear rational thought quickly is important i would say and tasty so yeah so that's uh, a really nice carolyn card obviously and yeah the icons you know having a triple so if you suddenly really need to pass a, a rotting remains or some other willpower treachery and you don't need to heal you can chuck this in that's okay as well yeah i mean more than okay it's, you know it takes the place of guts for sure and logical reasoning level zero was and the next card is archaic glyphs of course we saw that um the Strange Solution extra upgrade in Return to Dunwich, and here's now Return to Carcosa in a new Archaic Glyphs. Okay, this is the Markings of Isis Archaic Glyphs. It's 2 cost and 3 XP, which I think the other glyphs are. It's got intellect and combat icons now, so I think it's gained that combat icon. It's a spell, and it takes up the arcane slot, like the other two glyphs. You can only include this asset in your deck by upgrading it from Archaic Glyphs untranslated, and only if you have translated the glyphs in your campaign log. Same as the other two upgraded glyphs. And to translate the glyphs, just to remind you, you need to spend three actions discarding three cards with at least one intellect icon on them. And when you do that, you then get five resources and the glyphs are translated. So it's a pretty slow process, unless you're Daisy using your tome action, because the original glyphs are a tome but then you have translated the glyphs, and at least you get a little payoff in terms of some resources back. This one uses three charges, has action, spend one charge, investigate, same as the other glyphs. If you succeed, you may put an asset with printed cost of X or lower into play from your hand. X is the amount you succeeded by. Huh. Wow, markings of Isis, what a weird card. So you need an asset in hand. To pay for a two-cost asset like Fieldwork, obviously I'm going to use Carcosa cards as my reference because I've got them all in front of me, you're going to need to succeed by two. You can't guarantee success, necessarily, so there's this certain level of risk with that, that if you use a charge for Archaic Glyphs, you're going to get a clue, but if you succeed by zero, it's essentially a wasted charge. It hasn't given you any boost to the investigator or anything like that. 
if you know you're going to succeed by a load, so say you're Daisy, you're investigating at five, you've got a magnifying glass, you're a six, maybe you've got a camera, you're a seven, and you're investigating a two shroud location, maybe you give it a punt because say you pull a minus two or a minus three, you still succeeded by two or three, obviously other way around, depending on your maths. And if you then have cards sitting in your hand, you saved an action and played them. Huh. It's it's an intriguing one, isn't it? It's the kind of one you don't want to bank on. So it's a little bit of a, a win more card. When you're already in a position to smash investigation tests, you then start getting action compression and get to play assets. But if you can't guarantee it, you could be like, well, I'll, I'll keep using my archaic glyphs markings of Isis to keep playing other cards and just never playing anything. And that would be very frustrating. You would have paid two to investigate three times. It reminds me of, of course, uh, Unearth the Ancients, where it has a similar risk. You're taking a test to play a card rather than simply playing it, and you're hoping that your test success will give you enough of a discount to play the card. So it's, it's similar to that. The other thing I think about is if you're using higher ed, you can spend a resource for plus two. So that same resource would have only got you one resource's worth of asset, but if you end up succeeding by two, you're still getting a discount. But that means you're playing higher ed, and it means you've got the resources to burn, and it's still a risk. There's still the lottery element of it. And I can see a lot of players, including myself in that group, balking at that and just wanting to play it themselves, just saying, you know what, I'll save that higher ed resource, I can probably pass the test anyway, and I'll just, when I have the resources, play the event myself. Maybe we'll see more of that gamble style come in. If you had some cheeky other things that you're doing, if you maybe had access to, say, a sure gamble where you could flip a minus to a positive and suddenly get payoff, that's great. But that is really pushing your luck at that point. It's not something I'd necessarily be keen to do. One final thing I'd mention, I really like that these really shake up shrewd analysis. And I really like the shrewd analysis ability, but I like it in the context of not min-maxing and smashing, but in taking a seeker who's going to either do the glyphs or the strange solution and then just see what they end up with and tech into that playstyle. You've obviously got to be playing a seeker who doesn't mind not taking a certain variant. But if you're happy to be that seeker, go for it. So if I ended up with this, I would probably then be looking to prioritise making sure my investigation, my intellect was really high so I could really smash tests. And then I'd be thinking as well about what assets I have in hand that I'm happy to keep in hand and pick my targets to save three actions over a turn, uh, three actions over a game, sorry, getting a little bit carried away to get my assets down. So that would be nice. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. The Drawn to the Flame classic label. Interesting. Okay. Next is the Rogues. We had an upgrade to the Derringer. I don't think we'd see another one of those. We had Charon's Obble, the Ferryman's Pay, which is the banana's asset. Dario Elamine, Knuckle Duster, Lockpicks, Lupara, Moxie, probably not seeing an upgrade for Moxie. Pickpocketing level two, probably not for that. Stealth, Suggestion, Cheap Shot, Cheap Death, Daring Maneuver, Narrow Escape, Sleight of Hand, Sneak Attack, and watch this. I think it's Stealth and Suggestion, and I think that because I think I got spoiled on them. I don't know what they do, but I think Suggestion was in one of the card fans, and maybe Stealth was in an article recently. 
So yeah, let's take a look. Yeah, the first card is Stealth. Yeah, this is the 3XP version of Stealth. It's got a double agility icon now, still costs two. It's a talent, and it has free trigger during your turn, exhaust, stealth, evade. The chosen enemy gets minus two evade for this evasion attempt. If you successfully evade the enemy, disengage with it, but do not exhaust it. Until the end of your turn, that enemy cannot engage you. The original version only had one agility icon, and that free trigger was an action. So this has become getting an evade for no actions, which is pretty okay, as we've seen in the case of Finn, who gets a bonus action to evade each turn. 3 XP is a pretty heady commitment. It means it's gating it to our high XP rogues and to Lola, obviously. Is it any good? The level zero version I worked with for a little while and found to never quite be as helpful as I wanted it to be. Part of it is having to have played it, and then part of it is the fact that if you're playing in multiplayer, as soon as you disengage with the enemy, if there's anyone else at your location, they engage that other person. And so that idea of passing off an enemy, you know, normally when I'm trying to evade an enemy, that's because the evasion is a short-term solution for that enemy, and just passing the enemy to someone else isn't that helpful. The further and more punishing part about stealth was the fact that at the end of your turn, so if you hadn't left, the enemy engaged you again and got to hit you in the enemy phase because it's not readying an upkeep. It's at the end of the turn, it comes and engages you. Very annoying. And also if they're a hunter enemy, even if you've moved away, they still get to hunt, they still get to hit you. So you're essentially gaining plus two to evade, but at the cost of the evade not being as good and not just not being as good, but really removing some of the key parts of what an evade's about. It's like, imagine if Flashlight lowered the shroud of your location, but you didn't get a clue, you wouldn't do it. And same with fighting. If you succeed, do no damage. Or, you know, that makes no sense to me. So stealth was very frustrating in that regard. But recently, I started playing stealth again. Solo. So all of the issues around passing the enemy on to other people didn't matter. And because I was playing a little bit of a succeed by two style, dropping the difficulty of a test to zero or dropping it anyway by two means all of those succeed by two things combine in a really nice way. And the thing about succeeding by two, I realized, is that enemies often have higher fight values than they do evade values. And if you're a high evasion character, dropping the evade value from three or two to one or zero and chucking in a couple of your succeed by two things, is you can turn evasion into a very profitable exercise. So at that point, I didn't mind too much that the enemy was just being disengaged with me because I was getting other things out of it. Full disclosure, even with that, I still wasn't sold on stealth. And I felt like if my agility was high and I was anyway chucking in extra cards to succeed by two, I'd almost rather just have a daring maneuver just in case I only succeeded by zero. And... Otherwise, it really wasn't that helpful. Where does the level three come in? I realize I talked about the level zero a bunch there. For three XP, you're getting an extra action as well as the the, disc, the, the evasion diminishment. Evasion diminishment reduction. So it's not simply that that ability continues, but you can also not spend the action to do all of that which means you've still got your three, four, five actions left to investigate, move on, that kind of thing. I would love to see, to make this even more useful, a bit more movement in Rogue. Think on your feet 
is very useful, but requires an enemy. Stealth doesn't give you the move to get away. And elusive is very powerful, so powerful, in fact, that it's been put on the taboo list. And if there was a way of a kind of Pathfinder style thing to sneak into Rogue, this would start becoming bonkers good. Maybe that's too good. Maybe that's why rogues don't have that ability, that they have really great evasion abilities, but they require enemies to kick in for them to be really evade And maybe adding movement would be too strong. But yeah, it's made me ponder. I want to try this. I think this could be really good. I think it would be good better solo. Like cards give you extra actions. The value of that in solo is anyway stronger. It's just a case of, of finding it and getting it down. Finn likes it. The other person who likes it is Schizo Tool. And there's a couple of reasons why he likes it. One, because he could ever vigilant it down. So he saves the action getting it down. Two, because if he's well prepared, he can get the double icon from it as well. And three, because he has high agility and he anyway kind of likes stealthing around. Maybe he's running things to avoid being hit. And if the worst comes to the worst, he can go on the lamb. So that's stealth. And the next card is, it is Suggestion. It's not level 4 anymore, it's level 1 now. Massive downgrade. It's still 3 cost. It's got a willpower icon rather than a willpower and agility. It's a spell and it has the arcane slot. It uses 3 charges. If Suggestion has no charges, discard it. Now that wasn't the same on the other Suggestion. Action, exhaust Suggestion, evade. Add your willpower value to your skill value for this evasion attempt. If you do not succeed by at least 2 remove one charge from suggestion. Ah, so that suggestion dodging a hit ability that we used to have has completely gone. Is that right? Yeah, there was a reaction when a non-elite enemy would attack you, spend a charge. So this is just like lockpicks, three cost, one XP, like lockpicks. You exhaust it, you get to add one statistic to another to help that test. So like lockpicks, it's add your agility to your intellect. This is add your willpower to your agility. And there's the same if you don't succeed by two, remove a charge. That's nice. I mean, Sephina is crying out to run this. You're probably not wanting to run this in the recently announced new Dream Eaters Rogue, <laughs> evading at four. Skids evades at six. Finn evades at five. Jenny evades at six. Uh, Wendy evades at eight as well, which is pretty nice. And I like the idea of using this as a way of, I suppose, of evading in Seph or... Wendy without actually boosting your agility much. I've said before that I feel like you can fall into a bit of a trap with Seth. Basically the hole between her two stats where you either try and boost a bit of willpower but not enough or you try and boost a bit of agility but not enough and you end up kind of all over the place. And so normally my my first piece of advice to someone building a Seth deck is pick which stat you want to focus on. If you're going to do spells, put in enough willpower boosts. If you're going to do a uh, evasion, put in enough agility. And with suggestion, if you're already doing the willpower boosting because you're doing spells or because you're doing sixth sense to investigate, this then makes use of your agility. You're not essentially ignoring that agility for and just using it for treachery stuff. You can then also evade efficiently, which, yeah, is really nice. It's also spell traited, important, which means Marie can take it. And Akachi can take it. Marie evades at 7. Akachi evades at 8 with it. I mean, it's quite a nice Akachi card, isn't it? Evade at 8. Would she just prefer to run 
Miss Rillier, though, that's two cost and she gets five charges on it. Probably she would. But maybe she's thinking of upgrading into Suggestion 4 and you spend two XP on this. And then if you're running Arcane Research, you get the other two suggestions, the level four ones, at a discount. And then you get that blocking ability. That's quite nice. That would be really fun to do. A Suggestion Akachi. Maybe Suggestion Shriveling Right of Seeking. Something like that. Probably sign magic at that point. I really want to revisit Akachi. I think there's some fun things to be done there, particularly with the Circle Undone cards that have just come out that don't have charges. It's a really good head scratcher for Akachi because obviously you want enough charges in your deck. And so working out what combination to take is really intriguing to me. So yeah. Okay, so suggestion. I like that. I think, you know, it's nice to have a downgrade that really opens up its applications. It's kind of kind of cool. Would Leo like it? He evades it a five. Probably not. Mystic cards. What do we have? Alchemical Transmutation. We had an upgrade to the Arcane Initiate. Book of Shadows Downgrade. David Renfield. Grounded. We had a Scrying Upgrade. Spirit of Tharmé we got at one XP. St. Hubert's Key. Probably my most played card from Carcosa, I would say. Astral Travel, Quantum Flux, Recharge, Storm of Spirits, already announced by this cast. Time Warp, Uncage the Soul, Water Protection, and Seal of the Elder Sign. Oh, I need to scroll down my list. Torrent of Power as well. So we know that one is Storm of Spirits. The other one, hmm, hard to gauge. Probably not Water Protection. I can't imagine there being a lower version of Seal of the Elder Sign. Maybe an Uncage the Soul upgrade would be cool. Quantum Flux upgrade? That would be kind of bananas. Let's take a look. Huh! Alchemical Transmutation, level 2. So the original Alchemical Transmutation is level 0 and it's 1 cost. This is now 0 cost and 2 XP. It's gained an intellect icon, so it's willpower and intellect. It's a spell, takes up the spell slot, the arcane slot. Uses 4 charges. Did the original one only use 3? It did. Interesting. This one has 4 now. If you're running double arcane research, you can get this for free as one of your upgrades. Action. Exhaust alchemical transmutation. Spend one charge. Test willpower zero. For each point you succeed by, gain one resource to a maximum of four. If a special symbol is revealed during this test, take one damage. I've got to compare this to the old one. So that was test willpower one, not zero. And it was to a maximum of three, not four. And it was still the damage ability. So, 2xp has got us a card discount, an icon, a use, a difficulty reduction, and a resource gain increase. Five things? Was Alchemical Transmutation so far below the curve that they needed to add that much? Hmm. Yeah. Wow. I My immediate instinct is liking this in Akachi. I know I was just talking about Akachi. Put this down for zero and you get five charges for it, which is great. You're testing five up without any boosts for the test. If you're on standard, minus two is the normal reduction. So each time you do the test, you're essentially getting an emergency cash if things even out. If you've done any kind of willpower boosting, like Renfield, say you're tapping him, or you have Hubert's Key or Holy Rosary or the Four of Cups, chances are you're getting three to four resources from this. That's pretty nice as a spare action. 
in a faction that needs the resources. Obviously, if you're running Renfield, you probably don't need the resources. But in any other option, you maybe do. This could maybe sneak in as that third spell. And you could then use the charges off it if you don't need the resources to pay off uh, angered spirits. That seems good. Who else maybe likes it? Maybe Agnes, because she has high willpower as well. Maybe Diana for the resources. She's got that guardian access. She's really resource hungry. But her willpower is so low early on that she's probably not getting very much from this. I also just want to note that Andreas Sephiratis' art is really cool in this. And I don't think I've ever really paid attention to the teapot that's decomposing into cubes. Yeah, I, I feel like with this card, haters are going to hate and say, ugh, it's not as good, it's unreliable, it's a test to get that thing. Which, you know, it makes me think of the markings of Isis, archaic glyphs. You're, you're gambling at that point. The bag can punish you. On harder difficulties, this is not a sure, surefire thing. And that's kind of nasty. So, yeah, I can see all of that criticism being levelled at this card, which I understand. But also, I think in a catchy, probably more than anywhere else, you could have a jolly time with it. Maybe as a one-off. Yeah, definitely it's received a generous upgrade. And the next card is Storm of Spirits, which we've already announced. So this is the 3 XP version of Storm of Spirits. It's now gained a combat icon, so it's willpower and double combat. It's spell-traded. It says fight. This attack uses willpower instead of combat. You get plus two combat for you have plus two willpower for this attack. If you succeed, instead of its standard damage, this attack deals three damage to each enemy at your location. Any additional damage is dealt to the attacked enemy. If a skull, cultist, tablet, elder thing, or tentacle symbol is revealed during this attack, deal two damage to each investigator at your location. We've talked about this already earlier in the week. So you're getting the willpower boost, another icon, you're dealing three damage AoE, and you're taking more damage if any of those tokens come up. Hefty cost at uh, three XP, you know, it's an investment. Again, arcane research is a thing. This feels like a really good target to sit on Diana Esperance, as we talked about, and you can be kind of triggering those abilities. But I don't really have anything else to say about it because we've talked about it already. And finally, we have the survivors. Let's run through the Survivor cards. Cherish Keepsake, Gravedigger Shovel and Lantern, Madame Lebranche, Newspaper Plucky, A Chance Encounter, Test of Will and Devil's Luck, Fight or Flight, Hiding Spot, Infighting, ooh, a down, downgrade to Infighting could be interesting, Snare Trap, True Survivor, Waylay, Not Without a Fight, and Resourceful. Well, in this instance, I have a pretty good idea that it's going to be the Shovel and the Lantern, but let's take a look and see if I'm right. First card is Lantern level 2. It's one cost now. It's gained an intellect icon. It's item and tool traded and it takes up a hand. Action investigate. Your location gets minus one shroud for this investigation. Pretty sure that's the same. Action discard Lantern. Deal one damage to an enemy at your location. Or remove Lantern from the game to deal two damage instead. This action does not provoke attacks of opportunity. Huh. So it costs one less, it's gained an icon, and its ability is now you can chuck it for one damage as you always could, or do like a mega chuck and break the lantern for two damage. Pretty nice, yeah. I confess I've not run lantern as much as I've run shovel. It's often the card that gets cut. I wonder if it would only cost me one, I'd be more inclined to use it. At one cost, with a shroud, shroud reduction, 
that's getting to magnifying glass levels of useful slightly better with a shroud reduction. Obviously, you have to kind of combine this investigate. You can't you can't use a flashlight as well, but pretty pretty good. I like the flexibility that comes in with a a, a choice when you do the discard ability. Not making me super excited. Just chuck for two is all right, but. Yeah, okay. And the next card, it is the Shovel. It's also one cost. It's gone up to double combat icons. So if you're a well-prepared Yorick, this is nice. There's the same fight ability. Uh, you get plus two combat for this attack. And I should have said item, tool, weapon, and melee. I knew I should have, but I couldn't stop digging. And there's a second action. Discard Gravedigger's Shovel. Discover one clue at your location. Or remove Gravedigger's Shovel from the game to discover two clues instead. Wow, okay. So the Lantern and the Shovel... They're cheaper to keep replaying, particularly if you're Yorick and getting them from your discard pile. Or maybe if you're any survivor using Resourceful. They have the same base ability, fight for plus two combat or investigate for minus one shroud. But they have this built-in flexibility now with their discard abilities. Two clues discarding for one cost is really nice. Think of those high shroud locations that you want to target. And the lantern, two damage. I mean, it's two testless damage. So if the worst comes to the worst and you just need that final bit of damage, removing the lantern from the game to do that is really good. That remove from the game ability, I mean, we've not had too many that give you the choice to do it, and I can imagine that being really juicy. Is now the time that I remove the Gravedigger Shovel from the game and accept I'm not using it anymore? Maybe, and I get those two clues, and that's the difference between success and failure. That's, yeah, that's kind of intriguing to me. Nice. And... There are some new basic weaknesses. There are three, so I'm going to read those out as well, because that's really exciting. I just spotted them when I looked at the insert to the box. It said there are new basic weaknesses. In fact, let's grab that insert and see what it says. Right, so this says, each of the three new weaknesses in this expansion bear the hidden keyword, which was first introduced in the Path to Carcosa expansion. These weaknesses function like other hidden encounter cards, except that when discarded, they're placed in the investigator's discard pile instead of the encounter discard pile. And the way hidden worked is that you they count towards your hand size, but they can't be discarded by any means apart from the way described on the card. So they're almost like weaknesses when they're in your hand, but they're not quite like weaknesses. And they're treated as though they're in your threat area, but they're not in your threat area. They're a bit tricksy, but they basically sit in your hand being annoying. So the first one is Unspeakable Oath, Bloodthirst. The art by Darken is a woman looking very grim with a hooded man behind her. It's madness and pack traded. Campaign mode only. Peril and hidden. So peril, you can't tell anyone about it when you get it. I think that's important. Revelation, secretly add this card to your hand. Forced. When the game ends or you're eliminated, if this card is in your hand, you earn two fewer experience. Ugh. And reaction. When you deal damage to an enemy in excess of its remaining health, discard this card from your hand. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Um, nasty, right? You get this as a seeker who doesn't do any damage? ghastly you're suddenly using your i've got a plan to deal four damage to a two health enemy and everyone's wondering what you're doing just to make sure that you deal some damage in excess of its health Ugh. or you're a mystic and you're suddenly shriveling a rats because you you just need to do the the, the extra damage Ugh. 
really good. That's really mean. I can see you drawing that and that really changing up how your deck develops, where you're suddenly like, you know what? I need combat options. I'm bloodthirsty. Okay, cool. The next one. Ah, okay. They're all the same art, but they're just different colours. That one is red. The next one is green. Unspeakable Oath Curiosity. Hey, there's a rogue card called Curiosity. It's madness and pact. It's campaign mode only, peril and hidden. Secretly add this card to your hand. Forced, when the game ends or you're eliminated, if this card's in your hand, you earn two fewer experience. Ah, they all do the same, so they must all have a different condition for removal. After you successfully investigate a location with no clues on it, discard this card from your hand. Huh, okay. So Bloodthirst, if you're a guardian and you have reliable damage, is really easy to deal with. And Curiosity, if you're a rogue and you're burgling and you don't mind investigating locations with no clues is fine. Also in Carcosa, there are times when you need to investigate locations to remove Doom, so that's kind of nice too. But yeah, imagine you're playing as the person who doesn't do any investigation. Suddenly you're desperately looking for a zero shroud location, and you're looking for, or a one shroud, a low shroud location. You're looking for one that has no clues. You're desperate for everyone else to clear the clues up so that you can then go and be curious. Oh, the last one is a kind of putrid yellow. This is cowardice. Perfect. Good colour. Same ability, uh, same revelation ability, same forced ability. And then it has an action, evade, use only on an exhausted, unengaged enemy at your location. If you succeed, discard this card from your hand. Oh. Okay, so all of them really are going to cost you at least one action, maybe two if you fail it the first time. One, do extra damage. That's bloodthirst. Curiosity, investigate when there are no clues. Cowardice, you need an evaded enemy, and then you spend an action to evade an evaded enemy. Oh, horrible. What a lovely trio. In solo, these could be absolutely crippling. If you're planning just not to evade anything, you're playing as Mark, or Mark can do a bit of evading. Say you're playing as Leo or Zoe, and you have a cowardice in your hand. Oh, that's just not happening, is it? You'd end up teching in, uh, I don't know, uh, stealth just to help you get your evasion up. Oh, the stealth can't combine with this action. You'd be teching in uh, a stray cat to get the first evasion and then a bunch of agility icons just to pass the test. Losing 2 XP, I think, is pretty mean. There are some campaigns that are very generous with XP and maybe late in a campaign you just you just bite it and go, that's fine, I'll just lose two, my deck's already looking strong. But early in the campaign, this could be a real kick in the teeth, really slow you down. If you're getting, say, four or five in an early scenario, and you're only getting three, that that could be really punishing, really punishing. What a lovely trio. Yeah, mean. I'm looking forward to shuffling those into my basic weakness pile. That would be really good. So this has been my first look of the Return to Carcosa cards. A really cool mixture. I love the cult. Eat lead. I'm really interested to see how angry people are about it. People didn't like the last one. Logical reasoning is crying out Carolyn. And the markings of Isis, yeah, a fascinating card, really. A kind of gambling seeker card, which is interesting. I think I called it interesting earlier. Suggestion level one is maybe the winner of the pack for me. I think it has a lot of lot of applications, and I like that combining ability. And stealth level three, intriguing. Alchemical Transmutation, like Eat Lead, kind of cool. Storm of Spirits you've heard about. And then the Lantern and the Shovel, yeah, choice. 
Everyone loves choice, but particularly Frank loves choice. I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, you can get in touch with me in all the usual places. Let me know what your favourite return to the path to Carcosa card is. And I've got to say, the art on some of the encounter cards is terrifying. Brace yourself for the return. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.